Welcome to Sellersburg United Methodist Church Podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. Friends, we come to this time of worship where we engage the Word, and we're going to do something a little different over the next few weeks. We're going to focus on stewardship, and stewardship with our finances, with our wealth, and and particularly have these kinds of conversations with each other, and hopefully you'll have them with each other and with God in a way that's fruitful. And I know that when we say the word stewardship, there can kind of be an immediate kind of, "Ah, I don't want to talk about money. I don't want to talk about stewardship. Can we just leave that conversation out of the church? Can we just leave it out of a time of worship? And I, I get that. I respect that. I understand. But we should be talking about everything, anything in the realm of worship. We should be having the conversation on how we participate in any activity and how it relates to God. Because God wants you to have joy, friends. God wants to bless you. That's what this faith is about. This faith is about bringing us into true life with God, eternal life, here and now, bringing the kingdom into our hearts, bringing us into the kingdom here and now in a way that also is forevermore. And so stewardship, finances, these are part of our lives, and they are a big part of our lives. We can look at how we invest our time, how we invest our energy and our stress and understand really quickly, finances are huge. Many of us work that are blessed with the opportunity to work and I know that that's not everyone. And that's what's really tough right now. And some of you have worked and retired and so, you know, things are just what they are. It's not as big a part of your life, but yet finances, decisions are still a part of your life as you plan and prepare. And so stewardship isn't something that needs to be removed from the realm of worship and the place of church, but rather dance with it. That faith can bring stewardship into this place of joy and that stewardship can actually grow our faith. And so we're gonna spend a few weeks talking about stewardship and, and a couple of things that you may not know. In our country, we're very rich. Our country is exceedingly and abundantly rich. Did you know that our country, the United States of America, spends more money on ice cream in a year than it would take to feed and provide clean water to every person on the earth? Yeah, that's a it's tough to think about that ice cream, which is not a necessity. And I, I know some of you have immediately piped up and are ready to fight me on that point. And I, I get you and I respect the fight, but it's not, it's not a need. And yet there are people that don't have what they need. Did you know that if you make $27,000 after taxes, if your take home is $27,000 and that includes benefits, whatever, $27,000 is for you, you are in the top 5% of the world's wealth, the top 5%. Yeah, we're pretty rich. And we are called to be faithful in our riches, to understand ourselves 
as stewards. And so the unique way we're going to talk about this for the next three weeks is through one sermon of John Wesley. John Wesley gave a sermon called The Use of Money. And from that comes a rule, three rules to be exact. Gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Wesley offers these three rules and then expounds upon each of them in this sermon. So we're going to take one week per section. And yeah, if you're doing the math, Wesley's sermons had all three of those and then some in one sermon. So you can be thankful that I'm not John Wesley and I'm just going to focus on one third each week. And we're going to use the sermon and you can check the, the notes from this particular uh, service online and you can find the link to the full sermon if you'd like to read it for yourself because I'm going to update it a bit. He talks about a lot of stuff that was particular in England in the 1700s which doesn't quite translate so I'm going to bring it forward as we talk about stewardship in our day. And so let's pray before we begin this time and I, pr I ask you to, to truly just pray to come to a place where you'll hear the message and let the Holy Spirit do the work, okay? It's not my words, it's not Wesley's words that are going to bring joy and salvation into your lives. It's the Holy Spirit that's gonna work through the message, through the words, that maybe something, something about what is said takes your imagination, takes your mind, and you start developing a thought and almost a conversation with the Holy Spirit, with your conscience, that leads you in this fruitful direction. That's what we hope for in the work of a message in a sermon. So before we really dive into this, let's pray and ask God to meet us in that way. Lord, I thank you that you are always seeking to bring us blessing and joy to reveal your grace and your love and your mercy more completely, that you wish to see your justice and compassion be a part of everything that happens in the world and in our lives. You want us to be a part of the redemption of all creation. You have blessed the church. You have given us Jesus Christ. And through the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ, we come to have the Holy Spirit who enters into our lives and in our hearts and in our minds, who speaks to us, who guides us, who leads us through the body, the church, Lord, we ask your Holy Spirit to come. We ask that you speak to us. Bless what is offered and said. Speak through me in spite of me. Bless our hearing and where it is our hearts take us. Let us hear you in spite of ourselves. Lord, may all that is said and heard and contemplated and embodied and carried forward, may it be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. So Wesley preaches from Luke 16, and it's a strange parable. You may have heard it before of the dishonest steward, the dishonest manager. And Wesley pulls from one passage and the idea of our relationship with worldly wealth of, or unrighteous mammon is how he, how he terms it, which is the idea of all wealth, all status, all financial uh, power and, and entity and structure in our lives and how our relationship with it, that money in itself is not of God, 
but it can be blessed by God. And so this unrighteous mammon can become a means through which we become more faithful. And so Luke 16, I want to give a little context so you understand this strange parable. Because a parable has a particular purpose and message for its time, and we want to try to touch base with that. In Luke, beginning at chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus goes and is in the company of some Pharisees, of some higher religious elite people. And in chapter 14, he really addresses them and some of their hypocrisy because, let's face it, when we get caught up in our own religion, sometimes we can go the way of hypocrisy. Amen? Maybe it's just me. He addresses their, their pride, that they are giving honor to each other, that they're trying to watch him and bait him, that they are just all about keeping their status and in the meantime, missing out on the opportunity to be good stewards of God's honor. And then in chapter 15, continues the conversation because these people are struggling with the idea that sinners are coming to Jesus and actually experiencing the kingdom of God and they just don't get it. They're not coming the way sinners aren't coming to be a part of this movement in the way that they deem they should. They're judging them. And so Jesus tells some parables to speak to the judgment, to help both crowds understand each other, and more importantly, understand God. And then in chapter 16, he confronts their self-indulgent greed and complacency, speaks to the disciples, but still in the scene where these, these religious elite are around. And the Israelites of his day were called to be stewards of God's blessing, God's law, God's way and will. And what happens is when we're entrusted with these great privileges of God, we all start turning them in on how they can bolster us. We do this. It's a temptation to us all. Some of us are better with temptation and others are not. It's an all too familiar temptation that Jesus is lifting up. And so in chapter 16, verses 1 through 13, he addresses that they've misunderstood their role as stewards and that they need to rectify that quickly because the crucifixion's coming, the inbreaking kingdom of God among them is occurring and is going to take new shape in the crucifixion. And so everything that they know and their whole religious life and the temple in Jerusalem, at the time that this was written, it was all gone. And so suddenly this, this religion they thought was just for Israel is now, through Jesus Christ, for everybody. And now they're gonna need everybody, but if they haven't been good stewards and they've mistreated everybody, it's not going to bode well for them. So in today's parable, Jesus lifts up shrewdness. And so we're going to read from Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. Jesus also said to the disciples, A certain rich man heard that his household manager was wasting his estate. He called the manager in and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give me a report of your administration, because you can no longer serve as my manager, as my steward. The household manager said to him, what will I do now that my master is firing me as his manager? I'm not strong enough to dig and too proud to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I am removed from my management position, people will welcome me into their homes. One by one, the manager sent for each person who owed his master money. He said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, 900 gallons of olive oil. The manager said to him, take your contract, sit down quickly, and write 450 gallons. Then the manager said to another, how much do you owe? He said, 1,000 bushels of wheat. He said, take your contract and write 
800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he acted cleverly, shrewdly. People who belong to this world are more clever in dealing with their peers than are people who belong to the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to make friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful with little is also faithful with much, and the one who is dishonest with little is also dishonest with much. If you haven't been faithful with worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? If you haven't been faithful with someone else's property, who will give you your own? No household servant can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be loyal to the one and have contempt for the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So Jesus lifts up the shrewdness, the cleverness of this manager. It's another word for steward. He manages someone else's goods, someone else's property. And before he's relieved of this position, he needs to take care of himself because he knows he's not going to have any way to do what he needs to do. He's not going to be able to live because he can't go and do the normal things. And so what he does is he basically cheats the boss, the, the, the owner, and in the meantime, grants favors for himself through the means of the boss. So what he does is he knocks away 50% of what's owed for one person, 20% of another, and then everyone else who owed him money had their debt reduced. And so what he's done is in the eyes of the people who owe, in the eye of the debtor, they think, oh, this manager is so generous and so wonderful. And this steward, I owe him a favor for being a part of this great relief of what I owed. And so they owe the steward, the manager, a favor. And in their culture, they've got to pay up. They've got to be ready to deliver on that favor. Welcome the manager into their homes. If there ever comes a time where the manager's in need, they must provide. And in the same time, they see the boss. They see the boss as such a generous boss to help relieve their debt. And what is the boss going to do? Go door to door and say they now owe more than is officially on the books according to someone who was authorized to write the books, that would suddenly make the owner, the boss, look terrible. And there would be a lot of spite and contempt. So the boss is really in a tough position. Commends the manager. You know, you did something wise. You're relieved of your position. You're taken care of. And there's nothing I can really do about it because it's going to come against my honor. And in their culture of honor, shame, he's not going to do anything that's going to sacrifice his honor. So Jesus lifts them up. Smart thinking. Smart thinking, knowing that some big change is coming that's going to remove you from your position of heightened authority. And you now have taken care of yourself that you're welcomed into the homes of people when you may be without one. Saying this to a group of religious elite Israelites who have been stewards of God's blessing and knowing that the temple is going to be destroyed and was destroyed before this gospel was written. And suddenly the people of God are now dependent upon people outside of Israel, particularly as Christians, the church. And so they may go to eternal homes, church homes, and be in need. And how they have been dealing with people is going to be part of their reputation. It's going to be a part of what people do to accept them. Change your heart, be shrewd, act quick so that you will be welcomed when things change. So Wesley lifts up this calling for us, really focuses in on a particular verse that says, who 
that says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to make friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal homes. Wesley lifts up that money's not evil. It has no capacity to be evil. We can use it in an evil way. The love of money is evil. Worshiping money is evil. Allowing financial decisions to outweigh faithful decisions, that's what leads us off the path. Not being faithful stewards of God's resources, that is what ultimately hurts us and the world around us. Wesley calls us to be better. And then this calling, Wesley points out that we as the children of God have this wonderful opportunity to be witnesses to the rest of the world using their own game, their own game of wealth and finances. So right now, we need to use our worldly brains with money and our faithful brains with money in a way that is better than the world uses their brains with money. And Wesley says, look, they're They are better. They are more clever. They're more intentional, the children of the world, with how they deal with each other, as Jesus says, than how we deal with people of the world or that how we deal with each other. And sometimes they're more clever with their God of money than we are with our God. Amen? Yeah. This is a conversation that's good to have. We want to check ourselves. We want to be invited into a deeper walk of faith. One day, one day, The day of the Lord will be here and fully put into effect a new earth, a new sky, everything new. God is here. No evil, no sadness, no greed among us. And there will be no money. There'll be no need for it. Why would we need money when we're taking care of each other and loving each other as we're called to? Loving our neighbors as ourselves, taking care of need. No need to hoard One day there won't be money. And if things were perfect now, if everyone was in relationship, Wesley says, with the Holy Spirit and cooperating, we wouldn't need money now. But that's not the way it is. So we need to work in the means of the world in a way that isn't of the world, but of God. So here we are. So how do we live a faithful life of financial stewardship? Well, Wesley says, gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. And then he's going to break it down. So we're going to spend time with number one, gain all you can. Wesley says we should gain all we can, and he means it. But we must gain all we can in a way that does not sacrifice our bodies, our life, that is not dangerous for us, that does not shorten our lives, that does not pile stress upon us to where we we end up finding our bodies breaking down later in life. That's not demanding so much of our flesh and blood that we are actually harmed, either in the short term or the long term. That is not a good way to be stewards of our bodies that are also God-given. Gain all you can, but not in a way that hurts you. Know your limits. Know that some jobs you're made to do, and some jobs you're not made to do. And other people are made to do those jobs that you're not made to do, and we need to be shrewd and clever and intentional. Gain all we can, but not when it harms your body. Gain all you can, Wesley says, but not in a way that harms your mind. We got to live with ourselves. We need to live with God and in right standing. And so we cannot engage in anything that is sinful, anything that is unethical, anything that stands against what God has us called to do and be in the world. And so we must not cheat anyone of anything at any time, right? The classic example, when you're a kid, you find a dollar on the ground 
and you've maybe heard it, I heard it in my youth group, would you give the dollar back? You know, you were short, you were uh, given more change than you were due at the store. They gave you $5 extra. Do you keep it? No one knows. Or do you give it back and be honest? And the question was, how much is your soul worth? Is your soul for sale for $5 for one? Is your soul for sale? You have to carry that. And so do nothing that cheats anyone of anything. And Wesley even specifically lifts up taxes. And I know this makes a lot of us shudder. Taxes. Yeah, Wesley says, you owe the government. In his day, it was the king. We owe our government. Pay them. Pay the government what is owed. Don't cut corners. Don't be dishonest. Don't use loopholes that deny the government what is owed. Be faithful and act with integrity in all that you do with all that you gain. And we must not seek to cheat, lie, or perform in activities that which betray our conscience in any way. No amount of gain is worth our souls, friends. And some people engage in work that others simply cannot do. So for instance, there are jobs that, that would just bring me great stress and would weigh me down in my mind, and I'm just not made to do it. And so I need to be conscious of that and realize my calling, my vocation is probably in another job, a job that energizes me, a job that feeds me, a job that draws me deeper into relationship with God. That's the job I should seek. Some of us have the immense blessing to say, I'm doing what I was made to do. And that's a goal for all of us. And some may say, I don't have that luxury to do what I was made to do. And you have to come to terms and grips with your conscience before God. If you have not, not that option, okay. No need to feel guilty about that. You know, and God knows where you're at. That's important for us to remember. God knows our situation. We shouldn't hold our situation up beside someone else's. That is bringing our mind and our heart into a place that's not healthy. We need to, maybe when conversation with others, identify where it is we are being led and not betray our minds and our conscience and gain all we can in the way that we can live with. Number three, Wesley says, gain all you can as long as it doesn't hurt your neighbor's body. If we love our neighbor as ourself, then it's impossible for us to hurt our neighbor. And so if in some way you're hurting your neighbor, maybe you're not loving your neighbor as yourself. If we love everyone as ourselves, we can do no one any harm. Amen? Yeah. And engaging in business that takes advantage over others is not work that we can do when we claim to be faithful children of God. We can't sell goods for less than value because Wesley says, then your neighbor is gonna to have to sell their goods for less than value to compete. And so you selling for less than value means you're hurting your neighbor. And I know we might call that competition, but Wesley says, we gotta think differently. It's not about having success in the eyes of the world. It's about having success in the eyes of our neighbor and our God loving our neighbor and our God as ourself. We cannot take advantage of our neighbors to gain a competitive edge. And that just flies right against our culture, doesn't it? Do you see why we need this conversation? Wesley says, number four, gain all you can without hurting your neighbor's body or soul. We can't sell things which impair the health of our neighbor in any way. We can't sell drugs or alcohol to anyone unless it's strictly in a way that brings healing. And there are ways which those things can bring healing, but the most, of the most of the time the selling of it is not for that purpose. And Wesley says that's hurting our neighbor. 
Even if the neighbor wants these things, it's hurting our neighbor, we cannot do it. We cannot buy goods which rob our neighbor's lives. Did you know that bananas are sold for about 10% of their actual value? It should be about $5 a pound. We pay 50 cents a pound. You can look up information on that and read deeper into that. Coffee. You might ask, why is some coffee so expensive when we can just buy this cheap stuff? Well, the expensive coffee is probably fair trade. What that means is that in every step of the production of that coffee, from the time something was planted in the soil to the time it was given to you in a bag, everyone along the way was paid fairly. They were paid an honest living wage. So how do you cut prices on products? Somebody pays for it, not you. If you're paying a bottom dollar, then chances are that money's coming from someone else. Someone's not making a daily living wage, which is why it's important to see things like fair trade on the side of some of these products. I got the privilege to be in Antigua, Guatemala, and I saw some fields that were owned by Starbucks. No, no kidding. And so got to hear from the locals about how the workers are treated, that all of them make the living wage and are treated fairly. And so I hear people say Starbucks coffee is so expensive. Yeah, it is. It is. But that's because there are families who depend upon the selling of that product and actually make a living wage and can survive. Can survive. They aren't making $27,000 a year, but they're making enough to feed their family and survive. And other coffee, well, it may not be. And that's why it's important for us to understand, to be intentional, and to learn what are we buying? Where's it coming from? What does it actually cost? And that's probably going to be different than the price tag you're paying sometimes. Who's making the money? It's the kind of questions we need to ask, to be intentional, to be shrewd, even in how we buy for the sake of our neighbors who may not have the luxury to make those kinds of decisions. You know, buying products at a bare minimum cost, it could be of anything. You can go to some big box stores and see things for much cheaper than something similar at a mom and pop store. Different brands, when they mass produce, of course they drive down the costs, but I wonder if you were to look on your clothing label, how many of you have clothes made in Vietnam, Bangladesh, India, uh, Indonesia, all these places that aren't America? You know why companies make their stuff elsewhere? Because they don't have to pay people what they have to pay them here. Yeah, they can exploit them, work them long hours, not pay them anything, and it drives the price down, which makes us happy, so we buy those products. If we took time to investigate and see where do these products come from, how is this product working in the well-being of my neighbor? We would have to start really digging and looking and confronting some of the things that we do on behalf of our neighbor. Wesley is bold and doesn't beat around the bush. The blood of our neighbors is on our hands. Everything we do, everything we spend, everything we're involved in, whether it's our company, whether it's us as customers, whether it's what we support or invest in, if it's harming our neighbors, that is on our hands. And we must take this seriously. Gain all we can, but not when it hurts our neighbors. Gain all you can, Wesley says, in the proper way. He says all the things we've already mentioned, but you must know you must not waste time. Be diligent. Gain all you can. Not just act in the best way as you gain. 
gain all you can. Be active. Be intentional. Do not leave anything undone that there is to do. Don't leave anything for tomorrow that you can do today. Don't be lazy. Don't procrastinate. Gain all you can and do it in the proper, responsible way. And finally, he says, gain all you can by common sense. Use your ability and your resources and your understanding of God because God has given you great wisdom and understanding. God has given you great capacity and ability. Use them and use them well. We must do better than those who came before us. It's always the goal of a parent that their kids are better than they are. And it should be the goal of kids to be better than their parents are. Not to compare, but to know that we are taking every opportunity we were giving and building on it through God. We must do better than those who are not faithful to God. The way that we operate, the way that we gain, should be vastly different than the way that other people gain who are not in relationship with God. We must then be an example in all that we do for them. Be a witness. Let them see the joy and the peace that comes upon us when we rest properly and take care of our bodies, when we are doing jobs that energize us and take care of our minds, when we make decisions that treat our neighbors well in such a way that the world is blessed through us. We can be an example. And then let us learn from one another in every opportunity that we can continue to be better and better and better with every opportunity and to practice whatever new thing we learn to the best of our ability and to take whatever God gives us and in our stewardship, do everything we can in the best way that we can at all the times that we can. Wesley calls us into this way of stewardship Gaining all you can can be a wonderful, life-giving blessing and joy. It can also be life-taking. It can be evil. It really can, and we've seen this. And maybe we need to revisit all that we're doing and really take a hard look at how we can be better, how we can experience God's blessing. We're called to be faithful in all that we do, especially in something that's as important and involved in our lives as wealth and finances. Everything in this great world and everyone in this great world, including you, comes from God. All of it. It's God's. We are stewards. We're managers of God's goods. So we need to act accordingly, friends. Be faithful in your devotion to God every single day. Pray. Spend time in Scripture. Take time to think through everything you do in your pursuit of gain. Research. Be shrewd. Be shrewd. Be clever. Tell people about the things that you've discovered through cleverness. Invite them to be clever with you. Learn from what they've done. Think about the coffee you drink. Is it fair trade? Is anyone getting harmed? The clothes you buy, who makes it? Are they given proper wage? Are they overworked? How you engage in your work. Do you know how your company operates? Or if you're investing, what kind of work is your company doing for the betterment of neighbor and the employees who work? Or is it not bettering them? Think about how you do your taxes. Am I paying what I owe? Can I stand before God and say, yes, I'm being irresponsible. I'm being a good steward. I'm being faithful. And I'm acting with dignity and integrity. In your intentional practice of your faith, through this devotion, through your shrewdness, your praying, your reading, gain and let the Holy Spirit guide you in every step of the way because the Holy Spirit guides us into the way 
a faithful stewardship if we simply submit ourselves and allow her to. Be shrewd stewards so that you can stand before God on any given day with full confidence that you are being faithful, that you can say, I have done the absolute best I can with every ability you have given me, Lord, with every resource that I have, whether it be money, whether it be conscience, whether it be heart, whether it be faith. God, I've done everything well with what you have entrusted me. May God see your faithfulness of so little so that you may be entrusted with true riches here, now, and forevermore. Amen. We thank you for joining us today. And it is our hope that you have experienced the blessing of God through our time together. If you'd like to know more about our church community and its ministries, visit our website at sellersburgumc.com.